Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. It was really shocking. I actually found out I landed from, I think, from Europe and... I got all these messages from my manager being like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what's happened. Like, this is really hectic and awful. Anyway, it was one of those moments where you feel like your heart sinks and you're just like mortified. And the worst thing is that often at shows, really young boys will hold it up, come to the front and like hold it up. Hello and welcome to this special In Conversation episode of Shameless with DJ Tiger Lily. If you've ever been to a nightclub or a music festival, the chances are you know the name, but perhaps you don't know the story behind one of our country's most successful musical exports. In this chat, we explore who DJ Tiger Lily is, yes, but we also get to know Dara Hayes, the woman behind the elaborate wigs and costumes. In this episode, you'll find that Dara, the 27-year-old who lives with her boyfriend and their one-year-old group is enigmatic, a refreshing blend of passion, charm and honesty. Here we chat about everything from having your nude photograph leaked to the masses to what it's like to be a vegan at a time when it feels like everyone resents and rejects your lifestyle. Here's Dara. Dara. Hi. Welcome to Shameless. Thanks for having me, ladies. We're so happy to be here in your home in Sydney. Yeah. This is beautiful, by the way. You've got a very Thank good you. vibe going on. Mm, I'm all about the good vibes. Every morning I wake up and like burn my sage or my Palo yeah, Santo. I can smell it all in here. And my boyfriend looks at me like, you're a crazy witch. <laughs> what are you doing? But it makes me feel good. Yeah, it's a nice <laughs> it's gorgeous. And Thank I love you. looking at your um, books as well up there. It's so interesting to look at what people are reading. And we're looking at your Cosmopolitan Women of the Year Award. And my crazy wigs. You've got a couple of wigs, a I pink know. one, an electric blue one or a teal. What would we call that? Electric blue is nice. Yeah, yeah. I like electric There's blue. There's lots going on. There is. This room is like the stuff room. Yeah. Um, so it's like my office slash my wardrobe slash my storage space. And it can get really feral in here sometimes. It is certainly not feral here now for the listeners. I cleaned it for it. you guys. I cleaned oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Dara, we start every episode in the same way. And it is wondering if you have a 
um, recommendation of something you are listening to, watching or reading at the moment? Um, yeah, so one of my favourite podcasts is by a guy called Simon Hill. His name is, or his podcast is called Plant Proof. We listened to an episode with, with you, you on, it, on oh, this podcast. Did you? Doing your research. Doing our research. Yeah, so I listened to him, like to all his episodes before he invited me on and I was like starstruck not starstruck but like just super excited actually same with this episode to be on his podcast so it was um it was really great and he presents really informative well-constructed podcasts that are completely unbiased and I really appreciate that and all his guests are really educated and so I go on there and like write notes when I'm on the planes because for me that's just yeah great and then I know everyone's already probably have going to watch this, but on the way home from Europe yesterday, I started watching Game of Thrones uh, and I finished the whole first season in one plane oh trip. Oh my God. Yeah. So you're talking to two non-Game of Thrones fans, so you could try and sell it to us right Please now. Please do try and sell it because I don't get it. Okay. So do you like Harry Potter? Yes, I do. Zara does it. I mean, I don't not like it. Okay. I'm do just- you like Lord of the Rings? Oh, God. We've had two conversations about Lord of the Rings today as well. Yeah. Really? Um, not quite Lord of the okay. Rings. So I, this is why I feel maybe it's not my thing. Yeah, maybe it isn't your thing. Yeah. But I was like you and yeah. I was a full Harry Potter fan. Like it was my complete childhood. have read the books a hundred times. And everyone always said I would like Game of Thrones, but I just never wanted to invest the time because it's so time consuming. Yeah. Anyway, I knew that I would have a lot of flying to do in the next like upcoming months and I was chatting to a girl in France about it and she was just raving saying it's like Harry Potter but 10 times better and 10 times more adulty and so in-depth like Harry Potter. Harry Potter's got all the beautiful details and like the little storylines within storylines which I loved and this is the same and I'm hooked, like fully hooked and I can see why everyone's obsessed. Is there a lot of incest sex? Am I right? And murder. This is why I can't watch it. Yeah, it's gory. I had to close my eyes quite a few times because I can't watch like something go into someone. That's disgusting. impaled is not my kind of content. There's a lot of head chopping and impaling. I've watched two episodes. Like I did try, but it was was the head chopping, the blood and the gore that sort of threw me off a little bit. Mm. Um, It's not like that intense and it's usually pretty quick when the gore happens. So I can... I can say that that's okay. And yeah, there is incest, which is hectic. Um, <laughs> Everyone seems to we're love We're open it, to everything. <laughs> we're open-minded though, right? <laughs> I don't know if we're open-minded about incest. Um, <laughs> it's all, it's, there's, never, there's nothing super graphic in that regard. It's yeah. always just implied. Um, and there's lots of really hot characters to make up for that. I mean, so. that helps. Yeah. Um, apart from uh, a real love of Harry Potter, what were you like as a kid? What was your childhood like? My childhood was awesome. I've got the best parents and two awesome sisters. They're both younger than me. We had a really outdoorsy childhood. So we were just always, I have memories of building tree houses. We used to get up at like 5am and like go into our tree house to like give it renovations or we'd build go-karts and take them down to like the street and we lived on the beach as well so we were always at the beach which was great so we were never into like gaming or playstation or that kind of thing which I feel like a lot of my friends were even I know this sounds crazy but Disney we didn't watch any Disney because we didn't have a DVD player oh my god yeah crazy so it was really nice though we did lots of hiking and all that kind of stuff so my parents are really earthy and outdoorsy so I'm very thankful for that. Are you still really close with your sisters? Yeah really close so one lives in Hong Kong um she is working for Bank of America over there and the other one lives in Perth she's actually been selected into the Australian hockey team 
So what a mix. Yeah, crazy, right? Sports. Numbers and music. Such overachievers as well. <laughs> what are your parents? Are your parents high achieving? Yeah, they're both super smart. So dad works for Combank and he's like a numbers fanatic and nerd. And he was also a really high level hockey player. And mum's a physiotherapist. She doesn't work in physiotherapy anymore, but that's what she trained as. And she's like fully health smarts, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. You can come to her with any problem and be like... I think I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. So yeah. be like, I think I've got a blood clot or I think I'm like having a heart attack. And she's like, okay, this is the problem. Just relax, you know? Yeah. So are they vegan as well? Or? No, actually. So one of my sisters is, and one of them is Vejo and she's like on the way to transitioning now, which is super cool for her. But we grew up on like meat and three veg. But in the past, like two, three years, they've actually really changed to the point where like dad cooked mum pork the other day and she like took a bite and then spat it out and was like I don't think I want this I'll just have some veggies so it's actually funny they've really been influenced by our lifestyle changes which is really nice and mum's the queen now of making yummy vegan cakes and all this stuff so that's really awesome that's really interesting that it almost happened a little bit backwards Mm -hmm. we will get to the veganism stuff Mm -hmm. um, a little bit later in in the chat but you went off to a selective school is that right a selective all girls school yeah so I came from the eastern suburbs and went to just like a public primary school there and had a good time there was a bit of a nerd still like a school captain you know in all the teams and dramas and debating and stuff and then I really was super stoked to go to a selective school that was quite a way away because I knew not one person there and it gave me the opportunity to fully know myself and then present myself to these new friends in the way that I wanted to be seen without prior, what's the word? Yeah. Preconceived ideas yeah, about who you are. Yeah, preconceived ideas, exactly. Because a lot changes from, you know, kindy to year six. Yeah. And of course, a lot changes from year seven to year 12. But it was awesome because I really came into my own and found the best friends that I am still great friends with. Going to a selective school was interesting. Definitely may not recommend it for my kids when I have kids because there was a lot of pressure and I think that's definitely affected a lot of the girls that went to my school now. Is it kind of that one-dimensional pressure where it's it's academics and nothing else? Yeah, 100%. However, they did have all the sports teams and stuff like that. So I used to, I was in all the music like groups and all the sports teams. So they did still give you opportunity to do that. But I just remember in year 12 being so focused. Like I studied like a war horse and like had my goal number, literally, guys, I'm holding my hands like a meter apart, like (laughs) in a meter size on my wall. So every night before I went to bed, I could look at my goal and be like, that's what I'm going to get. Your goal, like we call it ATAR score in Melbourne. Yeah, ATAR. Yeah. Wow. And so like I got my goal, which was great. Yeah. But looking back, it seems a little bit diluted. (laughs) I had the same thing. I am in year 12. I put up my aim on the shower. Like I had a paper in the shower and it said the ATAR school that I wanted to get as well. It's crazy. I think it's a very specific personality type that (laughs) tries to put a very specific goal on something and is hellbent towards yeah. that It's goal. also a kind of way that you're taught to be at school and it isn't mm. probably till much later that you realise what a crazy way that is to live your teenage years because I was exactly the same too. Like yeah. I had a number. I didn't write it down for fear that someone would find it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I had that exact idea too. So it, it's funny. With you, what was the plan with that number? Like was it just mm. the number or did you have a plan after the number? So it was the number. Um, 
first and foremost, because uh, from year seven to 11, I was a little bit rebellious, liked to wag school, would go to all the parties, you know, would focus more on sport and music than on academics. And I kind of wanted to show everyone as well as myself that I could achieve you know, to get my name on the board in the hall, pretty much. So if you're in the top 2% of the state, you get your name on the board in the hall. And I was like, that's what I want to get. I can do this. So that was kind of the first and foremost reason why I did it, which is also crazy looking back now. But then uh, secondly, I wanted to go into do dentistry. So I wanted to go and study science and then, yeah, finish off with dentistry, which also is a crazy idea looking back on that now. So I went to uni and did a year of science and really did not like it at all. I didn't do really much science at school. As I was just mentioned, I was into music and arts and sports. And so, yeah, it was probably a really crazy idea. But for some reason, I was just really passionate about wanting to do dentistry. So then after my first year at uni, I changed degrees and did a Bachelor of Media Comms with a marketing and sociology double major and finished that, which was good. Did you like it? Um, I think you seem like such a free spirit. I'm not sure if even journalism would be creative enough for someone yeah. like you. I, look, I did like uni and I did like learning. However, I was working really hard the whole time DJing and producing and on my music and my brand. And so I didn't really experience uni the way that I would have liked to experience it. In hindsight, I think I would have liked to slow down a little bit, you know, playing some teams, go on some trips, that kind of stuff. But I was really busy working. Mm. So my schedule was really full on, which is maybe why my perception of it is a little bit different. How did the DJ thing come about? It's it's a niche, that's for sure, when yeah. it comes to music. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the typical thing no. for a yeah. blonde-haired Sydney beach girl to choose. <laughs> Definitely not. My parents were slightly shocked when I told them. <laughs> um, so... You know, when you were under 18, you'd go to those like blue light discos. Yes. I used to go to them and I was obsessed. They were like my favorite thing to do. (laughs) I'd plan my outfit. I'd like research new music as to like what might be playing. I just really got into it. And I suppose also coming from a musical background, I really enjoyed playing music because I'd played in all the orchestras and jazz bands and stuff at school. But I didn't really think that DJing was an option. I didn't actually think that a career in music was an option because the only ones we were told about was like playing in like the Sydney Symphony or being a teacher or being in admin. And I didn't want to do any of those things. So I just thought I'd kind of leave it. Um, Was it a massive passion for you, though, through those years? Like, was it the thing that kept you happy and centered? Yeah, 100 percent. So I started playing music when I was like four years old. Mum and dad found this awesome music school where they taught piano, singing, writing music, percussion, like everything kind of thing. Um, And I did that up until I was like 16 and then did three units of music for the HSC, went on tour with all my bands, like in high school, would spend like my lunches, like making bands and writing songs in the music room. So I was like really into my music when I was going through my younger years, as were my sisters as well. And we played like a whole heap of different instruments. So yeah, it was It was really awesome, for sure. There's a bit of a a jump between playing in the school orchestra and DJing EDM overnight. (laughs) Is there, really? (laughs) How how did you make that jump? I mean, I know for you it's all music, but at what point did you decide that DJing was the the musical avenue that you Mm. were going to take? Was it just the fact that there was money in it? No, not at all. Okay, so... Left school and went to uni and started obviously going to nightclubs, as we all did. And I just fell in love with the whole aspect of it. 
And one thing I really noticed was that because I had a classically trained ear, I could hear when a DJ's mix was either rhythmically out or harmonically out. And I'd so be, you're in the club being like, oh, shonky. Yes, exactly. I'd you turn- and I have that in common now. <laughs> I literally would not be able to yeah. tell anyone anything about music. I'd like turn to my friends and be like, oh, that was uncomfortable. And they'd be like, what do you mean? And I was like, the mix? And they were like, I didn't even notice the song changed. And I was like, ah, oh. okay. So then I started to realize that maybe I was a little bit more perceptive than other people when it came to DJs and mixing and stuff like that. And then two things happened. I met my ex-girlfriend who was a DJ and kind of just fell in love more with the whole partying and DJing and music thing through obviously having a relationship with someone that was in the scene. And I found or discovered this competition called Your Shot, which is a competition that gives young people the opportunity to learn how to mix in like an intensive six-week course kind of environment. Mm. So pretty much at the same time that both of those things happened, I finished the Your Shot course and ended up coming second in that. So you do have like a big DJ off, if you will, (laughs) at the end of it and where you have to play like a set and all your friends come and they judge who was the best. So I ended up coming second in that and that kind of gave me a kickstart into the industry. It my prize was um a residency at one of the nightclubs here in Sydney. Wow. Yeah, which was super cool for me back then because I used to love going to that club yeah. as a punter. And really for the first two years I was getting paid like really really not much. I still had to work a second job and was kind of just getting paid in drink cards. So it was never about the financials. It was always just a hobby and just a love. And I had, you know, I got such a kick out of taking my friends out to a show. I'd probably be playing at like 9 9 p.m., sorry, because I was like the beginner. But I just, I had such a good time doing it. And it was, yeah, just for fun, really. So at what point did you realize that this could be a proper thing? Yeah, well, I think when I finished uni... I had to make a decision as to what I was going to do. And I'd been DJing solely like as my job for probably three years up to that point. So for the last three years of my degree. And I think I just thought I may as well give it a shot. All my friends are looking for full-time work, but if I go and pursue a full-time job, the DJing is going to have to take a step back. And I'm just so lucky that my parents are so supportive Um, At the beginning, they thought it was a bit of a bad idea, but they're like my number one fans now and they help me with my business and I have meetings with them and my my dad helps me with my finances. And I think they were just like, yeah, why not? Like, This will sound like such an odd question because it is such a small detail, but I think it's an important detail. Mm. Your hair became iconic when you first kind of broke out into the scene with this beautiful, bright blue hair. Mm Was that a conscious decision to make yourself, I don't know, recognizable and recognizable? Yeah. Was it just something that you organically chose to do? Okay. Totally organic. And just because I thought it was a cool thing. (laughs) So do you remember the model Abby Lee Kershaw? Yes. Yes. So I saw she did a shoot in Vogue and she had her tips dyed pink. So she had like similar color hair to me and pink tips done. And I looked at her and I was like, she is the prettiest girl I've ever seen. And her hair is so cool. I just love her. And um, yeah, so then I just went to my hairdresser and got my tips done. So it started with having pink tips, the Mm -hmm. same as Abby. And then every time I would go to my hairdresser, I'd get like a little bit more. So it was getting to be more color than like hair. And I remember this, the the time that I dyed my like whole head, my hairdresser said, 
I'm not doing this anymore. We either do the whole thing or you leave it as it is because it's just exhausting and time consuming doing like a little bit more. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's just do it. And so I did it. Actually, the color of that pink wig, it was like a fairy flossy pink. And then it changed to purple and then it changed to the iconic blue color. And the reason why I kept blue for so long was I just think it suited my skin tone um, more than the other colors. And I never, ever, ever, ever thought about it being like some iconic thing or a branding thing. And everyone, people do ask that question surprisingly Mm. because it is a really good branding move, but Mm. I just wanted to do it. This will sound so silly. Is that hard to maintain? It was so hard to maintain. And this is why my hair hair is natural now. Thank you. I've been working on it for 12 months. Uh, make up for all that damage of like color dye and stuff. Yeah. So my hair used to be down to my bottom, like naturally. And then obviously as a result of bleaching it every four to six weeks, it just got so damaged. Yeah. And then I did the whole hair extension thing and realized that that was just really wasteful and um, not the way that I was. Like it didn't reflect me as a person. So then, yeah, I just chopped it all off and went to kind of natural ish it looks natural yeah for sure natural enough and then yeah this is where the wigs came in and it's been the best decision like (laughs) I've got so many different wigs like six different colors I can change it up for my outfits I don't have to ruin my hair way less time sitting in the salon chair do you like that part of your job that you can kind of dress and appear however you want on any given day and it can reflect your mood that seems like such a fun aspect of what you do it is really fun and then Sometimes I'm really hard on myself and judgy on myself because like I'm almost 30 and I'm wearing like cut off leather pants and like a leather crop top and like a pink wig There's in the a club. really good pair of sparkly boots over there near all the runners oh, as well. Yeah, <laughs> my sparkly shoes. So yeah, it is like a little bit odd, but it's also super fun because I can wear these outfits that... I wouldn't wear otherwise yeah. like in that I've got this green little romper that I'm waiting to wear and it's like fluoro green body tight it's gonna be amazing but if I didn't do my DJing then I would never wear that because <laughs> guys right now I'm wearing active wear so like yeah is it almost like a persona that you tap into that DJ Tiger Lily is almost a different person to Dara mm, I think she's definitely different in that she's a lot more confident and doesn't give a fuck about anything really mm. um but there are so many similarities as well. But yeah, definitely putting the clothes on, putting the wig on, getting my face painted is really a way for me to like step into the role and like get that mindset in the right frame for when I go out and perform. Yeah, it sounds like stepping into someone else's shoes. Mm. It, I mean, to me, the DJ stuff, it sounds like, okay, that was a quirky decision to make and it's awesome that you make it something you could work in for three years before you actually step out and do it full time. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. How do you become world famous? Because you have how many Instagram followers? Do you know? It's like close to 900,000, right? No, it's less than that, like 600, 610. There is a big difference between like being a well-known Australian DJ on the Sydney scene to traveling the world and being recognizable for, for the music that you make, not just the music you play. Yeah. I feel like everyone knows who you are. Really? Yes. I feel like no one knows who I am. Oh my God. All my friends, when I told them we're interviewing you, were like, fuck off. Really? Yes, absolutely. How does that happen? That's so cool. (laughs) Give me like nervous shakes. Oh, (laughs) don't say anything wrong. (laughs) Um, I don't know. A combination of a lot of different things. I think the first thing would be treating it like a business about similar time to when I left uni and when I started DJing full time. 
I started to take it really seriously, like a business, and actually started to take my health really seriously. Stopped partying, stopped doing drugs, stopped excessively drinking, all those things that I was like loving doing up till then. And I think that was one of the reasons that my business started to go really well because I started to really take it seriously. I think a lot of DJs don't do that. They just get caught up in the fun lifestyle. And I think that's to their detriment because it doesn't actually, you know, create a good vibe. I had a really great manager for a couple of years. I now manage myself, which is also bloody awesome. And then really great agents as well. So I've got different agents in different territories. So Australia, Asia, America, and Europe. Wow. Yeah. And they all work really hard and really cohesively with me and each other to get me really good shows, really good spots on like festival lineups. And then I think the last thing is just being nice. Like, it goes such a long way. Yeah. It does. So in France, last weekend, I was playing a festival with like a whole heap of other DJs. And a whole heap of the organizers came up to me and said, thank you for being like so easy to work with. And I was like, really? I just was doing like just being, you know, saying hi to everyone, walking around, doing my thing. But I think that on reflection, so many DJs can often be really difficult to work with. It means that people don't want to invite you back. Yeah. Coming up after the break, the moment Dara found out that her naked image was online and how she took her power back. But first, a word from today's sponsors. What's it like being in an industry where drugs and alcohol are so pervasive? Mm. Um, Is it, I mean, you just said it, it's kind of easier to thrive when you're not indulging in that lifestyle. But is it kind of, is is it inescapable? Sometimes, yes. And I think definitely at the beginning when you're starting to be or starting your career out, There's a lot of socializing that you have to do and connecting and meeting people um, and meeting the promoters and meeting the club owners and meeting the other DJs. It's almost like networking would involve those things. Oh, 100%. Of course. That's what a networking meeting looks like in DJ world. You're in a club at like 4am or whatever (laughs) it might be. So it definitely is inescapable in some senses. And I actually have noticed lately, even for myself, the past six months, I've been drinking a a bit more than I usually would because... You know, when someone says, do you want a glass of champagne? I'll say, yeah, of course. Why not? Let's have a chat. And it's something that is definitely difficult to say no to. But yeah, the moment I stopped like doing the party drugs and started drinking a lot less, things changed because it is this really um, kind of toxic, repetitive cycle Mm. that you can just really stay in. But yeah, it is annoying that it's inherently connected to the business. I think one thing you said to us before we got on air was this idea that if you are in that industry and you are connected to it, that people think you're a drug addict and a criminal. Was that (laughs) that the words you used? (laughs) Yes. Which you are, we can confirm to I know. (laughs) Look at my drugs and my uh, (laughs) knives. But there is something to that in that do you have a kind of despair that people assume your work is tied up with that when the work means so much to you? Yeah, I think... Not so much now, but maybe a couple of years ago, I was really self-conscious that people might think that about me, especially like my family or say my partner's family. And I do feel like I need to work a little bit harder to um, not prove myself, but it's definitely much easier to say that a DJ, you know, got drunk and did something stupid as opposed to like a health guru. Mm. Um, So yeah, I do think especially a couple of years back I had to work a little bit harder in myself to 
yeah, make myself feel comfortable with specific relationships that I had, um, which does kind of suck. Of course sure. it does. Yeah. Because that's the first thing I think is the, the people that you care most about are your family or in this case, your partner's family too, mm. whose opinions matter a lot, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. Especially if you're not familiar really with how things operate yeah. these days and how it is a business for so many people. Yeah. I mean, we spoke to Flex Mummy yesterday who said the same, like yeah. DJing for her is a business. She yeah. takes it really seriously. Yeah. She doesn't live that lifestyle anymore. As soon as she made the decision, right, this is what I'm going to do for work in my livelihood, she gave up a lot of what stereotypically DJs Drives do. It. Yeah. yeah, totally. I remember um, when I first met my partner and thinking – Oh God, what are his parents going to think? I had blue hair back then, like a blue hair DJ. Great. My son has not done well. (laughs) Like what's he doing? But obviously now like they know me, so it's fine. But yeah, there definitely is that perception that people can change the way they think of you because of what you do. Another side of being a DJ and being public like you are and being big on Instagram is that you are famous, like part of you is famous. When you had that side of your job and that reality become apparent, did you feel like you lost a bit of yourself to that fame or do you feel like you're more exposed because people might recognize you on the street or the Daily Mail might write an article about you? How does that feel? Mm, Not great. I don't like it. Um, That's actually the reason why I changed my hair back to blonde um, because the Daily Mail did start chasing me when I was like on the beach or like, you know doing random things and it felt really intrusive and I really didn't appreciate it um I feel like I've always been really myself really authentically myself but then also I did definitely get caught up in things that weren't necessarily me now what brings you back to kind of the center of you is it meeting someone your partner now who is lives a a life that is outside your industry completely and and holding on to those friendships is that's what is that what's been core to sort of making sure you've you've been grounded through this whole time? I think there's a couple of different things. Definitely having a really great partner who's completely out of the scene, posts on Instagram once every three months, and that's about it. He's amazing. Um, having a really centered family that kind of takes the piss of me a little bit, which is... It's always helpful when yeah. they do that. Yeah. Our families do that to Zara and I, <laughs> and it's very granting. My sister for so long, it actually really upset me, but it was a good thing that she said that said, you don't even work. What do you do? And I was like, excuse me. But it was, you know, it's good because it is a different type of work and I needed to really realize that. I think also my health is really a big one. Like my daily routines and practices that I do keeps me really grounded. And then I think the fourth and final one, which I've only really realized the past like 18 months is like external passions and long-term goals that I have that are completely separate from DJing. And they give me just a bit more perspective and drive that, you know, Instagram's going to die and DJing is not going to be around forever for me and that's okay and there's a lot more things that I want to do. So yeah, there's definitely those four elements. You touched one of those elements was your health Mm. and we find this super interesting in that you haven't always had the healthiest relationship with food, which Mm, is something that many women can say. Can you explore that a bit for us? Can you give the listeners who don't know that side of your story a bit of context as to what your relationship with food has looked like? Yeah, sure. So um, growing up, we always were in a really healthy household. We'd never have soft drink or chips or whatever. And I was a gymnast 
Um, so I was super fit, super strong, had like a 10 pack, you know, just living my best life. <laughs> um, and then when puberty hit, my body started changing. And I think this happens for so many women out there. Um, I wasn't sure of how to deal with those changes. Um, there is definitely a period of time, I think, for all women in figuring out what their body needs and where their body's comfortable at weight-wise and what food is best for them and what exercise is best for them. And everyone's completely different. But it did take me, I reckon it took me till I was like 23 or 24 to figure that out, which is quite a long time. Mm. Um, and yeah, when I was about 16, I started to read magazines more and started to go online a bit because that's when, you know, Facebook was starting to come about. And my perception of my body really changed. And I went from thinking I was this strong, awesome girl who could do all these chin ups and stuff to thinking that I was ugly and overweight. And it's awful now. I just want to go and hug little me and be like, stop, you're beautiful. <laughs> but so yeah, through like year 10 and 11, I had a really unhealthy relationship with food. I would, all I would have all day would be like three apples and then I'd like pick at dinner and I'd go for like massive runs and you know, this kind of thing. And I lost heaps of weight, never to the point where I needed to be hospitalized, but I don't think that really matters. I think everyone's journey and their head journey is very personal and specific. Um, so then in year 12, when I really wanted to get that big number on my wall, I went to mum one day and just had a big cry and said like I'm not okay I need help can we do this like let's get some help and kind of explain to her how I was feeling and she'd obviously known because she saw me lose all this weight and saw my obsession with food and running and all this kind of stuff um but I it was oh, it was awful I think one of the biggest things that I can reflect on was the guilt that I felt about the way my mother felt about my eating disorder because she's created this beautiful little perfect girl and she doesn't like herself, which would be soul destroying for a mother. Anyway, to get brighter, I started to see a hypnotherapist um, who's also a psychologist and I saw her for probably four months and she helped me so dramatically. Like I owe my existence to her really she was just phenomenal and really helped me realize that food is for nourishment and it doesn't really matter how we look it's just a reflection of you know if you're looking healthy you're looking healthy mm. um it doesn't matter it's not a reflection of who you are and your possibility and what kind of person you are so she was amazing and then after that I think I was triggered a couple of times throughout, you know, my early 20s by breakups or things like that, which may trigger you and set you back into a bad mindset. But whenever I did, I went back to my hypnotherapist. She was like my go-to mm. toolkit, I suppose. I feel really lucky to have that because I know a lot of girls don't have or haven't found something that works for them. Mm. And then to top it all off in like an awesome way, um, actually, when I went vegan, I started to like lift weights and do weight-based training. So like CrossFit gym sessions, which were not focused on running or like jumping or anything that was crazy like that. And my body changed again for the better. And that's kind of where I'm at now. And it's amazing. Like, I think weight training is so underrated, especially for mental yeah, health. Yeah. I feel like um, I, it's been huge for me. I've been doing weight training for probably 18 months now and the change, even in my anxiety, but also body image because I have a history of 
bad food relationships as well. Mm. Weight training is so underrated yeah. as far as exercise goes. No, completely. And I think the sort of the optics of it too, for you to be able to see yourself as someone who's quite strong yeah, um, is huge. Mm. But you've just touched on your veganism now. It's interesting that, that your relationship with food seems to be now a very core part of your identity. Mm. Um, talk us through that because I know when particularly in the last few weeks conversations that we're having in the media regarding veganism mm. you know versus farming yep. must be quite hard as a vegan for someone who wants to have a very impassioned conversation about it mm. how do you feel about the public sentiments to something that you care so deeply about it's really soul destroying i cry about it a lot actually <laughs> i'm i'm a very emotional person unfortunately and it is really hard if the public are kind of bashing something that you really believe in not just ethically but also because it has completely changed the way that I eat and I live and I see myself my relationship with food now is amazing I eat anything I want to eat and I still feel great I've got the best energy my blood test results are off the charts this is like the first pimple that I've had in like six months and it's tiny it's barely even there (laughs) (laughs) I just for me it's changed every element of my life internally and externally for the better and that's why that's actually how I fell into it because for health reasons and that kind of made me super passionate about the community and the lifestyle and then I kind of grew into the animal activism side of things which is now the reason why I've stayed in it But so, yeah, it is really difficult when people don't necessarily understand all the positives. It really is a community built on like love and compassion and respect because, you know, that's how we, we feel toward the animals. And it's difficult when there are all these intense situations or activism things happening which then reflect poorly on the community. That actually raises something that's really interesting for us because this happened this week. I'm not sure if you've read about the protests in Melbourne. Yeah, of course. Yeah. How do you feel about things like that? Because that copped a lot of negative heat and a lot of negative energy. Do you feel positively about protests like that or does it make you feel frustrated? Both. Yeah. This is – it's all really difficult because there are so many positives and negatives to every situation. Being a really passionate and proud vegan and wanting everyone to feel and see what the lifestyle and the changes can do for them, um, first and foremost, it does cause frustration because I feel like activism like that often pushes people further away from understanding vegans. And I think there's a big difference between a vegan and an activist vegan. And we all get put together in the same boat, which is really hard because I just want to give everyone like love and hugs and go hug a baby pig and go hug a baby (laughs) lamb and just feel good and look good and be good on the inside. So it is hard being put together. Like tarred with the same brush. Yeah. It's kind of like feminism, right? Like you can have some feminist activists who say don't live with men, don't work with men, remove yourself from men. And there can be some feminists like us who are like, guys, like we can all be chill and still fight for equal rights and still have feminist conversations. So I'm a very relaxed vegan in that respect. Like my boyfriend isn't vegan. We have a hypoallergenic dog. I drive a car that has diesel fuel. I fly all the time. Like there are so many ways in which I'm imperfect. And like the thing that I'm really passionate about is encouraging 
everyone to make positive small changes where they can. If I just said I'm going to stop flying right now, I wouldn't be able to earn a living and then I wouldn't be able to continue my like vegan activism because I'd have to go and do, you know, a normal job, say. So I think it's about encouraging people to make positive changes where they can that work for them. Also, a vegan diet isn't going to work for everyone. Mm. And like as much as it's really hard for me to say that because I'm really passionate about animal rights. It just isn't. It's definitely a very white privilege thing. Mm. If you're, you know, in a third world country and you can barely afford to stay alive, you're going to eat whatever you can. I also want to touch on the fact that it also was frustrating because protests like that held so many people up. And now people are just concentrating on how late they were for work as opposed to the actual point of the protest that's it and i think a lot of people are saying i missed my meeting because of vegans yes not because of the dominion protest or whatever yes exactly but in saying that it is really positive because we're here sat talking about it and so it is great in that way i just probably personally would have done it a little bit differently and i think that something that my mum actually says to me all the time is that because she's you know believes in the vegan movement and thinks it is the way of the future especially for the sustainability of our planet And she says, you've got to get people in through Love D. You're not going to get it in through forcing them and making them watch stuff and making them eat things and making them feel guilty. It's all about showing them the love that you've given yourself and the world through your diet, helping them feel that and discover that. And then that's your job done, I suppose. Um, So I think I definitely would have done if I was an activist participating in something like that, I would have done it quite differently. Do I want to say anything else on that? I don't know. (laughs) It's a hard one, right? Because you are completely right. It is this idea that entire communities are are tied with the same brush. And and also you don't want to discredit passion that exists on either end of the spectrum. And legitimate passion as well. Totally. I think the... It's not the point that's the problem. It's sometimes the, the communication of that yeah. message or the way that's coming across. But it must just be so frustrating to feel like the core belief of this community is so generous and loving, like mm. you said, but the response from the community can often be very angry and almost yeah. disdain. It's like we we, ch- we seem to chastise vegans and cyclists more yeah, than anyone else. Literally. It's really bizarre and I'm not 100% sure why, but I think what I've come to learn and discover is that what we eat is a really personal thing and no one likes being told what to do because we're all our own person and I think that it's really important for people to make their own decision and so when someone is trying to force a decision onto someone else people back off a lot another thing is it's inherent in our culture like Australians have been consuming animal product forever as all human like humans have, you know, back to like you know cavemen doing crazy things, which is like that, you know, that crazy paleo and keto argument, <laughs> yeah. um, which justifies all logic. But anyway, we won't go into that. So I think that it's so inherent in our behavior and our culture and our relationships and all this kind of stuff that it's a really intense concept for people to think of their lives without it. So that's why vegans are often um, labeled to be really like next level crazy Mm. but then on the flip side it is just a movement that comes from like love and compassion and having compassion and love for every single living creature Mm. and yeah it is quite difficult when you are on that end trying to talk to people about 
the reasons behind the community when there's all this negative stuff in the media. I wanted to ask you, in 2016, there was a Snapchat video of you that was leaked of you naked, mm. right? And you since came on the record, you know, after that and, and was really articulate and, and damning of that video and, and mm. called it a sex crime and, and as a result raised money for Headspace. Mm-hmm. Talk us through that time because I can't imagine being a well-known person feeling that violated by mm. people on the internet. Particularly because you weren't naked in the original yeah. Snapchat. There had been squiggles and emojis put over your and body. taken them away, right? I had yeah. a dressing gown on and I was in Germany, just been in the sauna with my TM to a manager and um, we both went back to our rooms and she was doing a little piece to camera and in the background I flashed like you know (laughs) hey anyway she like did it but uh, posted it but put yeah squiggles and emojis all over my lady parts and that was fine I was totally cool with that um little did I know that as a hacker or a I don't know what you want to call it. person who knows what they're really called. You could pause it, zoom in, increase the quality, take off all the emojis, all this crazy stuff. And so that's what got leaked. It was a, like a little gif of me undoing my my robe. And it was really shocking. I actually found out I landed from, I think from Europe and I got all these messages from my manager being like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what's happened. Like this is really hectic and awful. Anyway, it was one of those moments where you feel like your heart sinks and you're just like mortified. But I stopped and like thought about how I could handle the situation in the best way possible. And I think I did a really great job. Like I was really proud of myself for the way I acted. I did some really cool interviews um, and we chatted about, yeah, like online sex crimes and ownership of you know, content and stuff like that, which was really cool. And then, yeah, raised a whole heap of money. I think we raised like no seven grand or something like that for headspace which was really really cool but yeah it was really frustrating especially because I feel like I have like an inherent trust with people that follow me to do the right thing um, and to be positive and supportive like I would to anyone else online whether they agree or disagree with me you know and so yeah it did feel like a big betrayal in in that respect and the worst thing is that often at shows really young boys will hold it up come to the front and like hold it up and we always get the security guards to just take them out but it's like really after all these years you're still showing me this like what what reaction are you trying to get it really confuses me because obviously it just upsets me and I don't know what their intent is do they want attention or do they want a reaction? I don't know. It's very confusing. It's also so dehumanizing to feel like you are such an interesting person. You've got so much going on in your life. There's so mm. much color to what you are and who you are, really. Thanks. To have yourself be reduced to a naked gif. I know. Especially, stressful. like, I'm so proud of my body. I love my body. Like, so thankful for all the things it can do. Run, jump, hop, skip, all of it, right? And then it's just been like so sexualized in a way that wasn't even sexualized. Mm. I was having fun with my best friend in a hotel room and flashed her like so many girls would do to their close friends. And the fact that like it's just been so sexualized, like an innocent act that was meant to be funny and, you know, something to never think about again is very frustrating and... Yeah. You know what? I just feel really lucky that I was able to like have the strength of like 
myself and then my family and friends to support me through that and be like, it's okay, you don't need to be embarrassed. Whereas can you imagine as a young girl growing up now with social media, Snapchat, Instagram, and you know maybe being asked by someone to send you something and then sending something and then everyone finding out at school. I, I cannot even imagine like how awful that would be for young women these days. So I feel lucky that, you know, it happened for me the way it did. What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want people to think about you and your work and your activism? Mm, for me, I want people to remember me as someone that was really authentically herself and that stood up for things that she really believed in. Um, and I suppose right now it's you know sustainability animal rights but then also women's rights and feminism and being able to kind of just be authentically your most vibrant self because a lot of people aren't that these days they're just you know on social media trying to look cute I think you definitely succeed in that though I think if, if you were to ask us before we sat down with you that would be exactly what we'd say as well we finish every interview with the same two questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is what is next for you? Mm, so much exciting stuff. I've got the best year coming up. My goal for this year was to be uh, to be quiet and I've definitely not done that. And I'm just <laughs> super busy. <laughs> um, but that's fine. Um, I got lots more tours happening in Europe and Asia in particular and, of course, Australia, um, which is really great. And... Um, some new music coming out soon, which is really cool. Um, and some really nice time off with my partner, which is really exciting. And well-deserved. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy sometimes when you sit back and reflect on like even just the last two weeks, um, what's been happening. Um, and yeah, then hopefully, you know, a lot of the same work that I've been doing, the activism work as well. Um, and I really want to find a bit more time for like creative stuff again. I really want to get an easel and like oh. do some um, charcoal drawings nice. of like women. Yeah. Awesome. You can draw Michelle if you want. Oh, well, no thanks. The thing is I can't draw, but I got to start somewhere. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm guessing you're the type of person as well who like one day is like, I can't draw. And then you figure it out. Yeah, and then like, oh, Picasso over here. <laughs> I don't think so. I wish I was like that. I don't think that's the case, unfortunately. <laughs> the last question we always have is who are some women that, that you look up to? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I actually, oh, I did um, an article for International Women's Day of like 40 women that you should follow on Instagram. Um, so if you guys want to go to my blog on my website, which is just djtigerlily.com, you can see that. It's really hard to choose off the top of my head. Um, there's one girl called Ethically Elizabeth who I absolutely really love following. Um, she's really outspoken and um really conscious and really awesome oh yeah Brinkley Davies she's one of my friends that I met through Instagram she's awesome so she's like um an eco warrior she goes like diving with like sharks and manta rays and all this stuff and she's really passionate about the environment and like marine biology and stuff like that, which is really, really cool. So I really enjoy um, watching her stuff. And then the third person would be Zaina Van Dyke. I don't even know if that's how you spell her, say her name, <laughs> but um, she's all about like self-love and female empowerment. She recently just had a massive operation where her stomach was twisted and now she's got a scar from like above her belly button down to her like pelvis area. Oh and she's doing heaps of really awesome posts about like 
loving yourself through your body's change and things like that, which I think are really important to think about, especially as we are getting older and, you know, our bodies in the next 10 years are going to change through having babies or operations or whatever that might be. So I think that's something really important to talk about and to see on Instagram as well. And they sound like three women that will be really good to follow to kind of bring a diversity of yeah. different experiences yeah. as well. Oh, you should go and look at the list and like have a little um, – watch of all their profiles because I tried to write a list that was really diverse of some artists like musicians some um like health conscious or health coach people some girls that are all about just like love and good vibes some vegans so that people could go through and like find something that they like really liked yeah yeah I don't know it's just I think that there's a real lack of like conscious influencing going on these days so I wanted to show people that there was there was these really con- conscious great influences. <laughs> They're out there. They just had to like stop going on their explore feed because their explore feed is just like teeth whitening and fake boobs. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's not far off. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, you're doing so much good work both in the DJ space and in the, the sustainability and vegan space and animal activism space and it's really great. You've kind of got those two things to dip in and out of. It's Your really dog cool. dog has been so well behaved. I know. Oh, There's time. been a dog in the room the whole time. Lenny's just been sleeping. Girls, thank you so much. I just feel like I want to talk to you forever. It's been so much fun. Thanks. Thank Thank you so much. Bye, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with DJ Tiger Lily. If you loved Dara as much as we loved having her on the show, you can find her on Instagram at DJ Tiger Lily or on her secondary account at our.soul.purpose. If you're already one of the 600,000 people who follow Dara, we won't say no to a follow either. You can follow Michelle or I at Shameless Podcast, where there are slightly fewer wigs and slightly more dorky memes. We will see you guys on Monday. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.